Chapter One of Molly Brown's Freshman Days. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Debbie Baker Robinson. Molly Brown's Freshman Days by Nell Speed. Wellington. Wellington, Wellington, called the conductor. The train drew up at a platform, and as if by magic, a stream of girls came pouring out of the pretty stucco station with its sloping red roof and mingled with another stream of girls emptying itself from the coaches. Everywhere appeared girls, leaping from omnibuses, hurrying down the gravel walk from the village, hastening along the university drive, girls on foot, girls on bicycles, girls running, and girls strolling arm in arm. Few of them wore hats. Many of them wore sweaters and short walking skirts of white duck or serge, and across the front of each sweater was embroidered a large W in cadet blue, the mystic color of Wellington University. In the midst of a shouting, gesticulating mob stood Mr. Murphy, baggage master, smiling good-naturedly. Now, young ladies, one at a time, please. We've brought down all the baggage left over by the 945. If your trunk ain't on this train, it'll come on the next. All in good time, please. A tall girl with auburn hair and deep blue eyes approached the group. There was a kind of awkward grace about her, the grace which was hers by rights, and the awkwardness which comes of growing too fast. She wore a shabby brown homespun suit, a shade darker than her hair, and on her head was an old brown felt which had plainly seen service the year before. But knotted at her neck was a tie of burnt orange silk, which seemed to draw attention away from the shiny seams and frayed hem, and seemed to cry aloud, Look at me. I am the color of a winter sunset. Never mind the other old togs. Surely there was something very brave and jaunty about this young girl, who now pushed her way through the crowd of students and endeavored to engage the attention of the baggage master. I think my trunk was on this train, she said timidly. I hope it is. It came from Louisville to Philadelphia safely, and when I rechecked it, they told me it would be on this train. Now Murphy, the baggage master, had his own peculiar method of conducting business, and it was strictly a partial and prejudiced one. If he liked the face of a student, he always waited on her first, regardless of how many other students were ahead of her, and, as he told his wife later, he took a fancy to that overgrown gal from the first. I beg your pardon, but Mr. Murphy is engaged, put in a haughty-looking young woman with black eyes that snapped angrily. Now, Miss Judith, said the baggage master, who knew many of the students by name, don't go fur to get excited. I ain't made no promises to no one. It's plain to see this here young lady is a newcomer, and as sitch, she gets my first consideration. Oh, please excuse me, said the girl in shabby brown. I'm not used to, I mean, I haven't traveled very much. Judith turned irritably away. I should think you hadn't, she said in a low voice, but loud enough to be overheard. Freshies have a lot to learn, and one is to respect their elders. The new girl put down her straw suitcase and leaned against the wall of the station. She looked tired, and there was a streak of soot across her cheek. The trip from Kentucky in this warm September weather was not the pleasantest journey in the world. While she waited for Mr. Murphy to return with news of her trunk, her attention was claimed by two girls standing at her elbow who were talking cheerfully together. Yes, said one of them, a plump, brown-eyed girl with brown hair, a slightly turned-up nose, and a humorous twitch to her lips. I have a room at Queen's Cottage. 
It's the best I could do unless I went into one of the expensive suites in the dormitories. And you know, I might as well expect to take the royal suite on the Mauritania and sail for Europe as do that. The other girl laughed. You'd be quite up to doing anything with your enterprising ways, Nance Oldham, she exclaimed. Oh, are you going to Queen's Cottage? Here broke in the girl in shabby brown. I'm there, too. My name is Molly Brown. I come from Kentucky. I feel awfully forlorn and homesick arriving at the university station without knowing a soul. There was a kind of ringing note to Molly Brown's voice which made the other girls listen more closely. I wonder if she doesn't sing, thought Nance Oldham, giving her a quick scrutinizing glance. Yes, I am at Queen's Cottage, she continued aloud. But that's about all I can tell you. I feel like a greenie, too. We'll soon learn, I suppose. This is Miss Brinton, Miss Brown. Caroline Brinton was rather a nondescript young person with dreamy eyes and an absent-minded manner. She came from Philadelphia, and she greeted the new acquaintance rather coldly. Your trunk ain't here yet, miss, called the baggage master. Like enough, it'll come on the 650. Molly looked disturbed, while the black-eyed Judith standing nearby flashed a triumphant smile, as much to say, it only serves you right for pushing in at a turn. What are we to do now? she asked of her new friends, rather helplessly. Take the bus up to Wellington, said brisk Nance Oldham. I know that much. There's one filling up now. We'd better hurry and get seats. The three girls crowded into the long, narrow, side-seated vehicle already half-filled with students. Even at this early stage in their acquaintance, the bonds of loneliness and sympathy had drawn them together. I'm a stranger in a strange land, Molly Brown had confided to the listening ear of Nance Oldham. I had made up my mind not to be homesick. I really didn't know what the feeling was like, because I have never had a chance to learn. But I know now it's a kind of uh, all-gone sensation. I suppose little orphans have it when they first go into an orphan asylum. Oh, you'll soon get over it, answered Nance. It's because you live so far away. Kentucky, didn't you say? Molly nodded and looked the other way. The memory of an old brick house with broad piazzas and many windows blurred her vision for a moment. But she resolutely pressed her lips together and began to watch the passing scenery as new and strange to her as the scenery in a foreign land. The road leading to Wellington University skirted a pretty village and then plunged straight into the country between rolling meadow lands tinged a golden brown with the autumn sun. And there in the distance were the gray towers of Wellington, silhouetted against the sky like a medieval castle. Molly Brown clasped her hands and smiled a heavenly smile. Is that it? she exclaimed rapturously. It must be, answered Nance, who also felt some quiet and reserved flutterings. It is, said Miss Brinton. I came down to engage my room, so I know. In the meantime, there was a busy conversation going on around them. I'm going to cut Jim this year. It interferes too much, exclaimed a tiny girl with bird-like motions and intelligent, beady little eyes as bright and alert as the eyes of a little brown bird. But evidently Molly was not the only person who had noticed this resemblance, for one of the students called out, Now, Jenny Wren! You must admit that Jim never had any charms for you, and it's a great relief to give it up. Of course she must, put in another girl. The only exercise Jenny Wren ever takes is to hop about on the lawn and prune her feathers. Never, cried Jenny Wren. I never wear them, not even quills. I belong to the SPCA. Is there much out-of-door life here? asked Molly Brown of a tall, somewhat older girl sitting opposite her. This new girl may have timid manners, thought Nance Oldham but she is not afraid to talk to strangers. I suppose that's the friendly Southern way. She hasn't been in Wellington a quarter of an hour, and she has already made three friends. 
caroline and the station master and me and now she's getting on famously with that older girl what i like about her is that she isn't a bit self-conscious and she takes it for granted everybody's going to be kind oh yes lots of it the older girl was saying to molly kindly if you have a taste for that kind of thing you may indulge it to your heart's content there is a splendid swimming pool attached to the gym and there are golf links of course you know they are quite famous in this part of the world then there are the tennis courts and we'll still have some canoeing on the lake before the weather gets too cold and later glorious skating besides all that there are perfectly ripping walks for miles around the college has several saturday afternoon walking clubs but don't these things interfere with with lectures asked molly who was really quite ignorant regarding college life although she had passed her entrance examinations without any conditions whatever the older girl laughed pleasantly she was not good-looking but she had a fine face and molly liked her immensely oh no you'll find there's plenty of time for everything you want to get in because most things have their season and most girls specialize anyhow a golf fiend is seldom a tennis fiend and there are lots of walking fiends who don't like either molly's liking for this big girl and her grave fine face increased as the conversation progressed she had a most reassuring kindly manner and molly noticed that the other girls treated her with a kind of deferential respect and called her miss stewart she learned afterward that miss stewart was a senior and a member of the octagons the most coveted society in the university she led in all the athletic sports was quite a wonderful musician and had composed an operetta for her class and most of the music for the class songs it was whispered also that she was very rich though no one would ever have guessed the secret from mary stewart herself who was careful never to allude to money and dressed very simply and plainly the omnibus now turned into the avenue which led to the college campus and there was general excitement of a subdued sort among the new girls and greetings and calls from the older girls as they caught glimpses of friends strolling on the lawn queen's cottage called the driver and molly stood up promptly shrinking a little as twenty pairs of eyes turned curiously in her direction then the big girl leaned over and took her hand kindly won't you look me up tomorrow she said my name is mary stewart and i stop at number sixteen on the quadrangle perhaps i can help you get things straightened out a bit and show you the ropes oh thank you said molly with that musical ring to her voice which never failed to thrill her hearers it's awfully nice of you what time shall i come i'll see you in chapel in the morning and we'll fix the time then called miss stewart as molly climbed out dragging her straw telescope over the knees of the other passengers followed by nance oldham who had waited for her to take the initiative as the two girls stood watching the disappearing vehicle they became the prey to the most extreme loneliness i feel as if i had just left the tumbrel on the way to my execution observed molly trying to laugh although the corners of her mouth turned persistently down but anyway i'm glad we are together she continued slipping her arm through nance's queen's cottage does seem so remote and lonesome doesn't it just a thing apart the two girls gazed uncertainly at the rather dismal-looking shingled house stained brown and covered with a mantle of old vines which appeared to have been prematurely stripped of their foliage it was somewhat isolated at least it seemed so at first the next house was quite half a block on and was a cheerful place all stucco and red roof like the station well here goes molly went on if it's queen's why then so be it and she marched up the walk and rang the front doorbell which resounded through the hall with a metallic clang sure i'm after being with you in a moment called a voice from above you're the new young ladies i'm thinking and glad i am to see you 
there was the sound of heavy footsteps down the stairs and the door was opened by mrs murphy wife of the baggage master and housekeeper for queen's cottage she was a middle-aged irish woman with a round good-natured face and she beamed on the girls with motherly interest as she ushered them into the parlor since ye be the first comers you may be the first choosers she said and if ye be friends you may like to be roommates surely and that's a good thing it's better to room with a friend than a stranger the two girls looked at each other with a new interest it had not occurred to them that they might be roommates but had not they already with the swiftness peculiar to girls bridged the gulf which separates total strangers and were now on the very verge of plunging into intimate friendship would it not be better to seize this opportunity than to wait for other chances which might not prove so agreeable shall we not asked molly with that charming cordial manner which appeared to win her friends wherever she went it would be a great relief answered nance who was yet to learn the value of showing real pleasure when she felt it nevertheless nance under her whimsical rather sarcastic outer shell had a warm and loyal heart thus molly brown and nance oldham quite opposite in looks and temperaments became roommates during their freshman year at wellington college and thus from this small beginning the seeds of a lifelong friendship were sown the two girls chose a big sunny room on the third floor looking over a portion of the golf links molly liked it because it had blue wallpaper and nance because it had a really commodious closet End of chapter one